Welcome back, everyone, for another week of Tell It Again, which is our summer sermon series where we're going through old Bible stories and seeing how they point us to the person of Jesus Christ. We've read these old historical narratives of how the world was before Jesus came into the world, but in it we're seeing that God is foreshadowing, he's building the tension, he's he's painting the picture of the Savior who is going to come uh, to save the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we've already gone through a couple stories. The last three weeks we've gone through Noah's Ark, Daniel, and the lion's den, and last week we did Joshua and the walls of Jericho. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons uh, the, the last couple weeks because you're going to see in those stories some things maybe you've never heard or seen before in those stories as God paints that picture for you. Today we're continuing with the story of Abraham and Isaac. And uh, this story, I mean, practically preaches itself, right? And this story is pretty much Jesus with the names changed. It's almost like God took the storyline of Jesus and just transplanted it into Abraham and Isaac, right? Like, are you following this story as, as it was read? There is a son, an only son, who God calls for his death, um, but then a sacrificial substitute is put in his place, and it just so happens to be a clean, uh, sheep-like animal that has a crown of thorns because its horns are caught in the thicket. I mean, this is this is Jesus' sacrificial atonement for us, um, and it's pretty hard to miss it. Um, so what I want to do more than just kind of say, like, ta-da, this story is about Jesus, <laughs> is, uh, is teach you a little bit of a deeper level of what Jesus' sacrificial atonement means for you. Um, because it could just be kind of like a, a little bit of a party trick, you know, to read this story and then be like, oh, check it out, it was about Jesus the whole time. Um, but then lose the opportunity to really dig into what Jesus' sacrifice means for us. Uh, before we get there, though, we, we need to deal with one big intellectual question that a lot of people have about this uh, story. If they've read it and they're not a Christian, coming from a non-Christian background, and they wonder, how can God call for a human sacrifice? And it seems pretty ridiculous that this God who considers himself the source of life and actually distinguishes himself from other gods by saying, I don't call for human sacrifice. Um, how come he's suddenly calling for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And that's actually a really good question. Um, it's not really like God, right, to do that. So first you have to know that that's not really what God is doing. Now, God definitely does say, sacrifice your son Isaac, but there is a bigger purpose to what God is doing by calling for the sacrifice of Isaac. The text tells us that God is testing Abraham. Now, why does Abraham need a test? Um, really, God does this to all of us, where he allows struggle or difficult things into our life so that we understand what is really important. I mean, isn't that the nature of a test in school? Right? If you go to a test, you're, you're focused on what really matters. And God does the same thing with us. But he's not just testing Abraham. He's also teaching us something. So the point is not for God to get Isaac dead. He doesn't need Isaac dead. He doesn't want Isaac dead. Isaac is the next in the genetic line of who would become Jesus Christ, the Savior. So God needs Isaac actually alive in order to bring the Savior into the world in the way that he prophesied. So God's doing something much bigger. He's teaching us about the nature of faith and the nature of faith specifically in the sacrificial atonement of God for our sins. 
Now to get you there, and hopefully uh, get your mind wrapped around this idea of how important Jesus' sacrificial atonement is for us and our faith is in that sacrificial atonement, I want to ask you this question. What or who is making demands on your life right now? What or who is making demands on your life right now? It's probably pretty easy to pick out some of the more obvious ones, right? Like you probably are receiving demands from your boss, right? Or maybe demands from your spouse or from your kids or if you're younger, from your parents, right? We're, we're receiving demands from people all the time. People expect things of us, ask things of us, want us to do things for them. But I actually want you to go a little bit deeper than that. Because those obvious demands, we can deal with pretty well. But it's the subtle, constant demands that we don't maybe even notice that really start to wear on our heart and and start to break us down. And they also then lead us to the beauty of Jesus' sacrificial atonement. What about the demand to be more beautiful? You might have thought to yourself, I I feel pretty content with the way I look. I don't need to be more beautiful. But what about those times when you drive past the billboard and you see the person with the perfect skin, symmetrical face, and you look in the rearview mirror of your car and you think to yourself, wow, I'm not that. What about when you see the guy with the washboard abs and a girl on each arm and you think to yourself, wow, I'm, I'm not that. You know, it's that constant demand of the world to be more beautiful. Even though you know you probably will never be like those models, you still have that part of you that thinks, hmm, I wish I was. And if only I hadn't eaten that many carbs or had that many drinks or failed to get up early to exercise, maybe I would be like that. Maybe it's the feeling that you have that, you know, if you were more skinny or or more beautiful, or more active, your spouse would still be interested in being intimate with you. Maybe it's that feeling you get that you want to trade in like one of your body parts because it, well, it just doesn't look the way that you want it to look. It's that constant drip, those little pushes, those little demands that the world makes in you to be more beautiful. And very often you don't even notice them, but they are silent, subtle reminders that you're not good enough but you could have been. What about the demand for more money? You might think to yourself, I'm, I'm pretty content. I don't actually need more money. And maybe so, but what about when you see those parents who are able to give their kids more than what you can give your kids? You see the amount of possessions, the amount of vacations, the good food or the good experiences that they can give their kids. Do you ever think to yourself, man, if only I had worked a little bit harder, taken my education more seriously, pushed harder for that extra promotion, I'd be able to make my kids a little bit happier. What if it's when the Mercedes pulls up next to your Honda and you think to yourself, man, if I wasn't so frivolous with my spending, if I'd saved a little bit more, maybe I could drive a car like that. Or maybe it's when the Bentley pulls up next to your Mercedes and you feel the the same way. You know, it's this constant pressure that the world puts on us to work a little bit harder. The silent, subtle reminders that, well, we're not good enough, but we could have been. And if we would only work a little bit harder, put in a few more hours, push harder for that promotion, 
Well, then we could be happy. What about the desire, the, the demand to be a better person? You might think to yourself, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, comparing apples to apples with other people, I realize I'm sinful by nature, but so are they. I feel like I'm a pretty good person. But what about when you meet that person who seems like they're doing everything? Like they have a good job, they spend time with their family, they have time for vacation, they even have time to work out three times a week. They also have a hobby and they have time to relax. And you think to yourself, man, I, if I can just make it to work and get home and not fight with my family, that's a successful day for me. It's that constant, silent, subtle reminder Man, if you would have tried a little bit harder, if you would have worked a little bit more, if you were a better person, you could have all this goodness. Maybe it's when you look at other people's families and you see their kids and, well, their kids are better behaved than yours. And it's not that they say anything. It's not like they come up to you and say, look at how well behaved my child is. It's just their very presence. Like you see them and you think to yourself, gah, like why are they so much better at that than me? Maybe you feel that way about a marriage. You see somebody else's marriage and it seems like they're so happy and they get along and they laugh at each other's jokes and they're going out for date night every week. And you look at your marriage and you think, mine's never going to be like that. And maybe if I was a little bit better of a spouse or maybe if we had more resources. It's that constant slow drip that reminds you that you're not good enough, but you could have been. What about the demand to be a better Christian? You might think to yourself, I mean, I'm a pretty good Christian. Obviously, no Christian is is perfect. Thankfully, by the blood of Jesus, we are. But, I mean, I'm in church regularly. I read my Bible regularly. I pray regularly. But what about when a couple of those sermons hit uh, a little bit close to home? And you start to realize your Christian life, it's, it's not what you thought it was. Or maybe it's your offerings. You know how much you should be giving. And you know how much you are giving. And you feel that, that pressure, that demand. Maybe it's from other Christians. Other Christians who are constantly asking you to do more things for church without seeming to really care about you. Or maybe if you had a really tough time in your life and a Christian came to you and and all they gave you was more to-do lists. You know, you could have gotten out of this problem in the first place if you would have just done this, this, and this. And churches have just as much of a struggle of putting demands on people's lives. Do you feel those demands? The subtle, silent demands of the world around you. Our world is full of the law. The law that says, if you want to be good, then you have to do this. If you want to be successful, then you have to do this. If you want to matter, then you have to do this. If you want people to notice you and value you, then you have to do this. And it's crushing, isn't it? You know why you feel that way? Because there's a demand that's built into your heart. A demand that God put there from the beginning. And you can't escape it no matter how hard you try It's the command to be perfect. And Jesus said this when he was on earth. He said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. 
That was the command from the beginning when Adam and Eve were put into the Garden of Eden, that perfect place where human life was supposed to thrive and flourish. Be perfect. Don't disobey my laws. And since then, human beings have broken the world by their sin, but we haven't lost that default setting that says be perfect all the time. You know, we, we try to be perfect. We try to be good. We even try to be good enough. But the fact is, every one of us knows deep down we're not living up. And that's why those little silent demands hurt so much. They slowly crush you under the weight of your imperfection. You're living in a constant state of intellectual dissonance. You know on the one hand that you should be perfect. Everything should be right. Your body should work well. You should succeed at the things that you do and you should be happy doing it. But the reality is that none of those things are true. We shouldn't be crushed. We should be living a perfect life. But the fact that we are proves that there's a demand bigger than us on our lives. And every one of us feels it in a thousand different ways that we should be good enough for the world or good enough for our family or good enough for God. But we really aren't. And if that's how you feel today or have felt in the past, then Abraham's story is perfect for you. Because it teaches you that God has a demand, but that he meets it in Jesus. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a little bit. Abraham was 99 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 years old when they were given the promise that they would have a son. Up to this point, they had had no children. Sarah was barren and unable to have children. And yet God had made a promise to Abraham that he would have a son and that that son would carry on the genetic line that would eventually become the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So God showed up to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son through your wife, Sarah. And he did it. And Isaac was born. Now, some of you have children. You know how much you love your children and how much you value them and how much you want to protect them. And you're doing that out of the goodness of your heart, the love that you have for them, right? But think about Abraham's situation a little bit. Not only does Abraham love Isaac because he's his son, but he's got like an extra layer on this relationship because he knows Isaac is the next in the genetic line that would eventually become his savior. Like just think for a second, if you knew that keeping your child alive and well was a dependent clause in your salvation, I mean, that's what Abraham was feeling, right? That like Isaac was not just his hope for his genetic line to carry on, but for like the savior of the world to come and save him and Isaac and his wife, Sarah, and everyone he knew from their sins. And then God comes and, well, he, he ruins it. God comes to Abraham and he says, take your son, your only son whom you love and sacrifice him to me. And you can almost hear like Abraham cringing as God says those words, right? Take your son, your only son, the son that you love and sacrifice him to me. Now, what would you have done? Those of you who have kids, if God came to you and said, sacrifice your son or your daughter to me, what would you do? I have a pretty good feeling that some of you would say, uh, no, not going to do it. Or you would try to rationalize with God and say, is there any way that we can work this out? 
or some of you would just completely ignore the command and think that it's from Satan because God doesn't do human sacrifices. But Abraham is really interesting um, because we actually don't get any argument or any posturing between Abraham and God. The text simply says that Abraham just got up the next morning and did exactly what God said, which is an amazing picture of his faith, right? That he trusts that God knows what he's doing and that God knows best. And we can be tempted to look at this story and think to ourselves, wow, Abraham is an amazing picture of faith. If only I had faith like Abraham, well, then I would be a good Christian or, or I would be a better father or, or I would be a better spouse. But did you see what you just did? You turned Abraham into another demand. See, the temptation of even the Christian life is to look at the scriptures and read them as if they are moral stories to teach us how to live better lives. But that's not the purpose. They do, in, the, in some ways, teach us those things, but only to build attention so that we understand that there is going to be a Savior who releases us from the demands that are placed on our heart and that we can't escape. See, if you had that same command given to you by God, you would have really done one or two things. You would have actually done it and think that by doing it, you're somehow pleasing God, but in the process, hurting another person, right? Killing your child. Or the majority of you, I think, would run away from it. Run away from God's command and feel guilty that you didn't do what God said. Because if only you would have done what God said, well, then you would have met his demands. But the beauty of the story of Abraham and Isaac is not that Abraham met God's demands, but that God met God's demands. See, this story doesn't picture for us an amazing Christian who does amazing things and we should posture our lives after them. No, it, it shows us how God steps into our existence and meets every demand for us. Look, here's where Abraham's story intersects with your story. Abraham got a ridiculous demand from God. Sacrifice your son your only son, the son whom you love, the son who is really the picture of salvation for you. But God gives you an even more ridiculous command. Be perfect. Be everything that everyone demands of you, including God. And the beauty of Abraham's story is that God provides in both situations. Where Abraham could not have done anything to provide another son for himself. God provided a substitute, a sacrifice in the form of a ram, who is the ultimate picture of Jesus, sacrificed for you. See, what God did in a small way for Abraham, he did in a massive, transcosmic way for you. He sent Jesus to be perfect in your place, and to die the death you should have died for being imperfect, so that all the demands that are put on your heart can be released so that you can be free from those demands. So that there can be no expectations on you at all. See, the problem of our life is not that we have demands, but that we think that we need to fulfill them. In fact, in many ways, demands can be a good thing. The law that God gives us continues to demand that we live lives in accord with our faith. That we live lives of service and love to our neighbor of sacrificial love to our church, to our family, and to our friends. And that's a really good thing because it guides us when we don't really know what to do with our lives or how to serve others. 
In fact, very often we overcomplicate things and make the Christian life about feeling fulfilled or, or doing something I'm called to do. And God really just says, just love. Just love neighbors and, and love family members and love friends. That's what it means to live the Christian life. But our problem is, see, that we always focus it on ourselves. We make it about my ability to pull it off, to be enough for everybody else, to show that I'm a good Christian or a good person or that I have enough or that I've done enough. See, our problem is not the demands. Our problem was focusing on ourselves. But the beauty of this story and the beauty of the Christian gospel is that it changes that narrative. It reminds us that every time that we have failed, Jesus has succeeded in our place. Every time that we have failed to perform, Jesus has performed in our place. Every time that we haven't been enough for everyone around us, Jesus was enough for God who is in heaven. Jesus has made us perfect in the places where we were imperfect because he was perfect for us. He's paid every debt that we've owned and write a, wrote a blank check to pay for every debt that we will owe in the future. Jesus has been everything we've needed. And our salvation does not depend on our ability to fulfill the demands, but on Christ's ability to fulfill the demands, and he has done it perfectly. In fact, this is so, so beautiful and so full that God has actually made it possible for you to even be fulfilled in the demand to believe that Jesus has done this for you. I mean, just think about this. If I would end the sermon now and I would say to you, you know what, go home. You are free from the demands of the law. You would go home and probably turn that even into a demand. Now I have to go home and I have to feel free from the law and feel good about the fact that I'm in the gospel. And I hope you do, but it's not a demand. The beauty of it is that even if you tomorrow don't remember that the gospel is so freeing and you start to fall back into your old habits of, of loving the demands of the world and trying to fulfill them, guess what? Jesus has still fulfilled that demand. Jesus fully trusted and obeyed his father, even when you don't fully trust or obey your father. This gospel is so free, so outside of you, that your actions do not depend and are, it's, it does not depend on your actions and what you have done or not done. It is just true whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. God has provided a sacrifice of atonement between you and him, his son, Jesus Christ, on the altar that should have had your body but no longer does. That's the beauty of Abraham's story with Isaac. That it relieves the tension of all the demands and allows us to step out in freedom, not even worried if we feel like we're free, but just knowing, believing, trusting that God has done everything that we need. You know, I heard a great quote uh, this past week uh, from a friend of mine who said, Your faith is what matters. Everything else is just managing. I thought that was a great quote. Your faith is what matters. Everything else is just managing. See, your life, day in, day out, it is not the dependent clause for whether you go to heaven to be with God or live a life of constant service to him. It's not. Those demands have been fulfilled. What God demands, he provides. And so you're completely free from any demand. Your faith is what matters and it gives you that freedom. The rest of your life is just managing. It's trying to figure out how to live in an imperfect world. How to, trying, uh, figuring out how to drown those demands so that they don't hold, uh, hold court in your heart. 
See, the Christian life is, well, it's about faith, and the rest is just managing. Look, if I could be very straight with you, you're never going to be enough. It's just not going to happen. You can't be. Ever since the fall into sin, we have never been able to live up to God's demand of being perfect. But the beauty of the gospel is that we do not have to. So stop trying so hard. Stop getting so down when you can't pull it off. Stop feeling like your value to the world or to your family or to other people is about your behavior. You are already loved and treasured and smiled upon by God because of what Jesus has done. And so live out of that freedom. Live completely unleashed to love in a way like no one else loves because you have no fear. No fear of condemnation, no fear of failure, no fear of not meeting the demands. That's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And I pray you tell that story again. Amen.